What time is it? 8 30. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to episode four of the Livingston Experience, and I'm joined once again on a sunny Australian afternoon by Darren Hill. And Darren, have you been out enjoying the sunshine today there in Sydney? I have. I've had um, already a couple of sweat on the harbour, but I love the NBA so much today as I've got the the blinds down now so it doesn't, so I don't cook in the lounge room. And yeah, I've got the, we've got the Nuggets Suns on here as we speak live with about 30 seconds to go, a tie game. So oh, okay. I'm ready to talk ball. Yeah. Talk us through it while it's in the background. So, well, I actually, I set up the projector screen today and said, I'm putting the aircon on. I'm not stepping outside. It's too hot. I, I, put, <laughs> I brought hot. the heat rule in. I might jump in the pool actually after this podcast. We'll see how we go. But uh, I went, <laughs> you one. know what? Today it's going to be the races on one channel, the basketball on the other, and I'm just going to watch some games. Mm-hmm. So I, I caught mm-hmm. some games. I'll talk you through some of those games and some of my takeaways from there. But let's jump straight into it, Daz. And I know we both have the same Livingston moment from this week. Uh, and it's a team and a player that we both really want to talk about. But I guess to me, what this did, it summed up what's so great about the NBA because it was a, a random sort of day in the NBA. You would not have expected uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Brooklyn Nets to put on the show that they did. And then out of nowhere, so Colin Sexton finishes the regular regular time in that game with only 20 points. It's a tie game, goes into overtime. Cleveland had led this game all the way through. And then Sexton just exploded for 22 points in the in the double overtime period, uh, does did you catch any of this like me? Because I I caught it in the moment, and I thought this is what's great about the NBA. Because any night you can get a performance like this and a storyline like this that sort of jumps out and and almost changes the direction and your thoughts on a complete franchise and where they're going. I did again. Complete credit to you for having put the, planted the seed in my mind, which is any two teams any given night if it's close or tied you know, turn it on no matter what you're watching. So I too had the pleasure. I only caught it at double overtime. So I didn't see overtime, but I saw double OT live. And so I caught, I think it was like 14 of the 20 consecutive points that can, that Sexton scored. And yeah, why we started Livingston experience, why we'll be this tiny voice in the ocean of, of, of voices that says only the, only the postseason matters. But absolutely why you love the NBA is, is for games like that when um, a kind of a little bit of a forgotten kind of guy and a forgotten franchise, right? It g- does something so special like that. So it was, it, I can't help but say it, it was so fucking fun. It was just <laughs> fun. Um, well, it was, I mean, it's just one of them games where he just caught fire and all of a sudden you're just like, this guy's not going to miss. And he could feel it. And but the only the, the other amazing thing was the Nets never sent a double team. The guy scored twenty straight points, and the Nets were just like, "Okay, well, well let's just see if he makes another shot." Well, and that was like, interesting, right? They, I think doubling him. You're exactly right. They didn't do that, but they were. He was making shots. Yeah, they were putting Durant on him, so you could see Nash is like, um, you know, put Durant up on top and just you know get those his eight foot wingspan or whatever it is. Right. And just kind of make life difficult, make it visually hard for him and make him, 
either shoot over the top or get try to get around, you know, Kevin Durant. And Sexton did. <laughs> he just, he did. It was remarkable. It was a classic in the zone sort of moment. Um, oh, I thought at some point the Nets needed to just say, box him one, let's get the ball out of his hands. Like, let's see if Teddy Osman can do this. <laughs> box and one. Box True. and one on, on, yeah. on sex, which you never would have thought you'd, you'd be well, talking, arguing for that. in a row, Daz, it, it all happened very quickly, didn't it? Right? It's, as, the, as the NBA does, it's just not a lot of time to breathe, right? Unless you're freaking calling timeouts every 60 seconds. It was just, it was suddenly, like, I think he made three in a row in about three possessions. Right? Well, he, he hit a, the three to, to tie it again because they were down three at the end of the first overtime. So he hits the three to tie that, which was a tough shot. And then it was like, because you just expected, it was just one of them games where you just expected the Nets were going to end up winning it. And it's like, okay, that's an yeah. honourable loss for Cleveland. But Colin Sexton, he's just one of those guys that has, and I've seen it, and I picked it actually in his rookie year with him. This guy just is a baller, and he's going to go out there and, and try and win every game, and he's never going to be defeated. Uh, no matter what happens. And it goes back, actually, I remember when the Spurs played him in his rookie year and he did something similar in that game. Now, they narrowly lost that game, but Popovich made a point of going over to him after the game and sort of giving him a pat on the bum and, and having a bit of a chat to him. And Popovich will occasionally do that to rookies that sort of stand out to him. And I think he recognised yeah. in that moment yeah. that this kid is, in terms of attitude, if nothing else, he's something special. He's a He's a... You know, I think he's a perfect leader for a franchise like Cleveland. Uh, and as I said, it's it's making me sort of rethink, well, what can this team be given what Sexton's doing for them this year? Because not only that game does, they, they beat Nets again today very easily, and I'll get to that game in a second. But they're now 8-7, and seven, so they're pushing their way over 500 in the East. And they've been doing it with defense as well, Daz. I mean, so Sexton, absolutely the Levingston moment of the week and double down he was also doing it on the defensive end, like this amazing chase down block he did on KD in the first half and just all over the floor. And the, my final point on the Livingston bits is that, again, where Cliff began, right, with the towel in hand, uh, I'm not sure if you caught the what I saw, is the Cleveland bench, of course, any bench is going to be going crazy when you've got a guy in the zone. But, again, credit to – I don't often give credit to this guy, but credit to Kevin Love. He was the first guy – up off the bench he's screaming and jumping and you can see hooting and hollering his elbows are flying in the air and he's he's in amongst it right and so perhaps kevin's happiest when he's not playing that's a different story <laughs> well, you know? he checks his he's bank account i think that's yeah, 30, 30 million a year to you know <laughs> to watch his pals but um but again credit where credit's due this is where the positive he's in it and he's and he's and he's mucking around and that's about to change the dynamic a little bit there because he's about to come back from injury and so just to your point, then where can this team go? That's a great question. Obviously the big, you know, the big emergence of Colin Sexton here. Granted, he won't play the Nets defense every night, but I'm with you. He's got a swagger about him. He's like better Kobe White. He's kind of like rangy, rangy, not quite Donovan Mitchell. I don't want to go there yet, but he's got that style of play, doesn't he? Where he can just get to his spots. Um, and he's so athletic. I think he can actually make more passes than Donovan Mitchell, in theory. I'm not, he's not doing it yet, but I think... The theory of him is you're bang on can be a proper a proper floor leader locker room leader and so um yeah kudos to cleveland for putting the ball in his hands and then of course obviously with jared allen who's um suddenly made a kind of was already kind of a log jammed front court in cleveland with drummond and 
Larry Nance and, you know, even, you know, JaVale McGee there and Jared Allen's kind of leapfrogged them all. And now I've got Kevin Love coming back. So they're going to be confronted with some things. There'll be some coaching going on with how do you stagger the minutes? How do you make sure the locker room's still happy? You know, will, um, you know, is Drummond's minutes going to diminish? Will Kevin Love be okay playing reduced time? But we'll see. So they're going to go through some trials here with actually bringing Kevin Love back, but, um, and it will challenge some of their, you know, what they've been doing defensively. But well, yeah, there's something brewing there, Daz. I'm with you. There's suddenly, when you get the emergence of sex and you kind of go, huh, the other pieces just kind of look, they look more sensible, don't they? They're fitting around him. You talk about coaching now, Daz, with the, with the Cavs. And I think if the season ended today, the runaway coach of the year for me would be J.B. Bickerstaff because to turn the worst defense, and not only the worst defense in the NBA last year, Daz, one of the worst defenses in NBA history, and this year they're the best defense, right? Now, that's not going to... I don't think that's going to continue through 72 games, but we're through 17 games now, so it's not a ridiculously small sample size anymore, I don't think. I think there's some trends there that you can see. And he's got these guys playing defense, like Andre Drummond, who was a good defender early in his career. He's he's re-engaged on that end. Uh, Larry Nance Jr. and Chetty Osman are actually playing nice perimeter D uh, at different times, and both are playing well on both ends of the floor. And the other thing was he took the ball out of Sexton's hands a little bit, and Garland's playing more of the point guard role when Garland's burned there. Now, Garland's burned out a little bit, but I think that's freed Sexton up a little bit more to sort yeah. of be, off, be that off-ball scorer that he probably more wants to be. But having said that, today... When the Nets showed a little bit of a def- different defense at him, does nine assists today and 25 points. So he didn't come out and say, I'm going to keep chucking it and try and get another 40. Today he was like, okay, I'll, I'll be ha- more happy to do a distributor. And against the defense like the Nets, honestly, you pass the ball more than twice against the Nets at the moment and you've got a layup or a dunk um, because they're one of the worst defenses I've seen in a long, long time. We'll, we'll, yeah, it's, we'll get to them. Well, also, there's Kevin Durant didn't play today either, and he's kind of their only defender, isn't he? Pretty much. Really? I mean, I, yeah. I, I'm struggling to think of another defender. I mean, Tarian Prince, at least, was a theoretical defender. I think he's always sort of passes the eye test probably more than he does the analytics side of things. Uh, but he's obviously in Cleveland now as well, and he's been shooting the ball well from three, which was something the Nets were pulling their hair out trying to get him to do. Another guy, too, does that's just come back, missed his full rookie season, was injured to start the season again, was Dylan Windler. Now, that was the Cavs draft pick from last year. I'm telling you what, Pay attention to this guy next time the Cavs play because if you think Michael Porter Jr.'s got a smooth jump shot, this this dude's got a really nice-looking jumper. And he, he went two for two today in limited minutes. But I think they might have a player there um, to build on as well. So a lot... Yeah, and, and and within the case of really, I mean, we were only joking about the Cavs last week and that Andre Drummond play and having a bit of a laugh about them. And here we are... All of a sudden, we're excited about them. Um, you know, I don't think they're necessarily on track to be a super team or anything like that, but there's at least some building blocks there, which I think from the position that they're being in, that's about as best as you could ask for uh, at this point in the season. Yeah, and of course, uh, um, they've also, we can't sort of not acknowledge the fact that Kevin Porter Jr. has had that episode. And I think, I think we talked about that a little bit in episode three where it just happened where he'd, you know, he's been out for various personal reasons and all kinds of different stuff going on in his life, you know, possible. Well, he was you know, traded to uh, Houston. Well, that's right. Yeah, so I was going to say, so he had that 
again, credit to uh, Kobe Altman, who's having to also um, put in some long hours, I think, with, you know, uh, man, just managing that situation itself and trying to obviously support the kid and put some structure around it and then but continue, you know, obviously continue on as you have to do and then having the blow up, but very quickly then just kind of rectifying it, sending him um, packing to Houston for a you know, basically a very highly protected second round pick and just kind of cutting your losses. So a bit of a disappointment, right? That's obviously a talent that, you know, showed absolutely some flashes, but there's a lot of stuff going on with that kid. So, hmm. um, yeah, a lot going on in Cleveland, but um, very positive signs. But then suddenly the last thing I'll say about, about the Cavs, and it's remarkable we spent this long talking about the Cavs already, this season, though, is that now they're kind of in an enviable position, aren't they, Daz? Where they got, I think, by all measures, Jared Allen for the Milwaukee Bucks, you know, um, unprotected 22nd, uh, 2022 first-round pick, which in all likelihood is going to be about maybe the 25th pick. So Jared Allen, a terrific pickup for them. It's now they got the two expiring contracts and, you know, kind of uh, JaVale McGee and Andre Drummond, especially with Love coming back. So they're in a position where they can still, you know, probably not getting premium assets, but uh, there's going to be teams, you know, whether it's a Portland who's suffering all kinds of injuries or a Toronto who's very, very weak in, in the center, who's, you know, Baines um, looks done, Boucher, probably not a long-term solution. They just released Alex Len up there. Like they're going to have some suitors, you know, to kind of both free up minutes and get some more assets. And so kudos to Altman for, you know, we made a lot of fun of them and, and Detroit for kind of stockpiling these bigs, but I think they can still flip you know, these guys and get some minor assets and, and clear some space as well. So they got some leverage as well. So we'll see what Kobe does to, you know, kind of stock the pile or stock some assets. Oh, there's no question um, to me. I think they've been trying to pump uh, Andre Drummond's tyres as well in terms of the, the numbers he's putting up. Uh, that's a fair so point. So they, they can say, look, let's let's look at what the trade market is. And are we going to get a team that looks at it and goes, this is a guy that's pulling down 20 rebounds a night on, on a lot of nights. That's a weakness mm-hmm. for us. Can, can we bring Doesn't him he in? just seem like the perfect Portland Trailblazer? Like, the fit is so natural. Like, you know, if he's, like, optimized white side, he's, like, super, super duper Ennis Cantor, which is just right, you know, um, interior scoring, putbacks, and defensive rebounding. Like, it's just it's just such a perfect fit there. I just I wish the money could work, but we'll see. We'll see if they buy him out and let him go or if they try to get some asset for him. But I look for him to be a, kind of a minor difference maker for these for a team like the um, these kind of marginal playoff teams, it's so, quite kudos, possible. Kudos to Cleveland, yeah. Kudos it's quite possible, though. So let's talk. I want to talk a few about a few of the Livingston moments from today, and that's going to lead into a couple of other different conversations uh, that we might want to have. The first one is I spent some time watching the Charlotte Hornets again, Daz. That's my number one uh, league pass team. I'm not sure if they're. I, I know they're probably high up your rankings as well. And but when Lamelo balls on the court, Daz. It's much must-watch uh, NBA basketball, even though they didn't win today. They didn't even play that well, particularly on defense. Lost 123-110 to the Chicago Bulls, uh, who played pretty uh, efficient on the offensive end themselves, actually. I'm been somewhat impressed just quickly, t- quick tangent on the Bulls with, with Zach Levine this year, and he hasn't been forcing the offense as much as he has in the past. And today, I think in the first half, he didn't miss a shot, but he only took seven. So whereas normally you would have, you know, maybe he's taking 12 to 13 shots, and that's a seven for 13. Today it was seven for seven. So he looked really good today. Kobe White has looked good also for the Bulls. But on Lamelo, he's just 
he's so audacious, Daz, and the vision he has on the court, the ability, you know, we we hear about it, it's important, it can be important to be a taller point guard. And I think you're really seeing that with Lamelo because he can because he's seeing over the top of his generally his primary defender, he can just see the angles, and he's passing guys open, so he's putting the ball in a position where when the guy goes to meet it, he's either going to be going to the basket for a layup or a dunk, or he's going to be open for a very easy jump shot, and that's a that's a skill you just don't see from a 19 year old player, um, and as soon as he gets a rebound. It's, a, it's an automatic fast break because he's just eyes up and he knows exactly where the players are going to be on the court. And the full court passes from the, the rebounds have been unbelievable as well. So have you caught any more Lamello ball? I know, like me, you're a fan. Um, but I've been shocked because I wasn't that high on him being an Illawarra Hawks fan here and watching him in the NBL last year. But obviously... You know, when he when he's got uh, better uh, teammates around him, like obviously is the case in the NBA and, and at Charlotte, uh, it's a different case for different situation for him. I have, and it's I think we're you know, pretty much the NBA community is pretty unanimous here. You know, and that that's one of the surprise league pass teams, yeah, for sure. And the, just the way the ball moves around, and no question, Borrego's been coaching the crap out of it. But again, another thing, we're whatever, one month into a $120 million contract. But what I have observed, um, as many have as well, is Gordon Hayward's really important to that team. And you can just see the intelligence of a guy like Hayward, who's that secondary playmaker. He never hesitates to make the extra pass, right? He's just he's just that heady, heady stable uh, wing player who can hit an open shot and kind of just keep things moving. So I think that's a perfect pairing. Again, a healthy, happy, engaged Gordon Hayward with, with LaMelo is like the perfect calming influence on LaMelo. Now, LaMelo's efficiency from a shooting perspective, right, is not, it's not terrific. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it's not, you know, it's almost downright Lonzoian at the moment. But, um, but there's no question. I, the, the story is I find it we would have to think really hard, right? Uh, it might even be some of these type of high school players where to have so little data about a guy who's traveled around the world, who was obviously here in Australia. And again, you'll say far better than I do was how much effort and how much did we learn about him, you know, in the NBL in Australia and not really, he didn't really learn a lot. Right. And he's played so little winning organized structured basketball to, to go from that what we're seeing elevated by NBA players is, is just freaking remarkable. And it obviously speaks to, you know, thank goodness he's now on the background, but whatever Lamar, um, who's the dad? What's the dad called? LeVar. LeVar. Thank you. Whatever LeVar did to raise these kids and to have this in this, this intelligence is just, it's, it's not almost generational, isn't it? Yeah. So to go from the NBL where he underperformed and he's overperforming in the NBA is special. And he's 19. Hopefully the Hornets show plenty of patience with him. Um, I think he's actually surrounded by some nice complimentary pieces where Devonte Graham every, every now and again can light it up. Um, every now and again, Terry Rozier can, you know, be a high flyer and make some shots. And again, kind of every night you're getting what you get from a miles bridges from an athletic perspective and, uh, you know, and, and Gordon Hayward. So, Kudos to the Hornets and kudos to the Cavs. Who would have thought, Daz, right, a month into the season, they're kind of the 
kind of the darlings of the league in terms of least watchability. Final point on the Cavs, I mean, it's Cavs and the Hornets. I mean, if you had said that the Cavs were one of the top five league pass teams for me uh, after four weeks of the season, I would have said, you've got rocks in your head. So um, it's been a really, <laughs> sure. really pleasant surprise. Let's have a quick look, though, Daz, at some of the... What other rookies are, from this rookie class have jumped out to you in the first four weeks uh, of the season? Because obviously we've talked about Lamelo, but there's been... A, I think there's been a couple... Of, and Torres Halliburton's the other one that's really sort of jumped out to me so far. Uh, he had another good game today. The Kings ended up burning the Knicks today at 16 points off the bench in that one. Uh, outside of Halliburton, you can talk a little bit about Halliburton if you want, but what, what other rookies have maybe jumped out a little bit to you thus far in the season? Well, I, I, I can probably can't go too deep into the into the first round as at the moment. Um, I've seen some Okoro, right? And so Okoro's had some flashes um, with Cleveland like we've been talking about. Um, well, just quickly I, on the Cora, that's one of the reasons why their defense is so much better. He, he is. has made an immediate impact on that end, which again, that's that's a big big thing for a rookie to do at this point in his career. And that's what they knew they were getting, right? At a minimum, they, they kind of knew they get this rugged defensive wing, which you can argue whether they should be, you know, drafting for fit or best available. They clearly drafted for fit, didn't they? Which is kind of take the sure, the quote unquote sure thing, right? Defense will last forever and see if that shot can come around. So he's got the makings of like a little more rugged kind of auto Porter style, doesn't he? Kind of not the most athletic kind of three, but um, definitely has the body for it. So he's been a nice kind of complimentary piece in getting his minutes. I did get to see some, some Edwards um, in come and, you know, we've kind of made fun of princess D'Angelo Leia last week and I saw some Edwards, you know, stuff. And there's, there's flashes, you know, he's got the body, he's got the quickness. He can, I saw him do very, um, very Giannis like move from the top of the key and kind of this set the guy up going left and do this really quick spin and aggressively just, he just leaps and finishes over people. So you can see that athletic ability, but his efficiency, you know, obviously is going to struggle for a while. And it's again, we, you know, like many before us have talked about when you're developing in that system, you know, with, um, Nintendo playing Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Lea, you know, just you worry about the developmental path there for for Edwards. Could it be downright um, Andrew Wigsian? We'll see. But the one I think worth discussing is the obvious, the counterpoint to Mello, which is is Wiseman. And we've seen just how quickly, right? He started the season a bit with a bang, with, while Draymond was out, and now Draymond is back. And there's a lot of that just changed the dynamic entirely as Draymond you know, inevitably do. So that's been a really interesting dynamic. I'm not sure if you've seen much dubs. I, I, didn't they play the Spurs recently, didn't they, Daz? Yeah, I'll, but, I'll talk about that, actually. Because, yeah. I mean, just on, on, on Edwards and Wiseman, I think they're looking the way you expect rookies to look. You know, and that's why we say with, with Lamelo, you just don't expect what he's doing and even what Halliburton's doing to some extent from a rookie. Whereas these guys are showing flashes, but then at other times they look like they don't know where to be and what to do on the basketball court, which is fully understandable for a rookie. Uh, certainly with Edwards, he looks the part of a basketball player, and you can see where that why they fell in love with him from a potential point of view. When yeah. you when you watch that first step when he's in attack mode. Oh boy! Like you, you can, you go wow! That you can see the the physicality and the athleticism that they fell in love with. With Wiseman, look, he destroyed the Spurs during the week, and it wasn't well. Steph Curry destroyed the Spurs, and he was on the end of a lot of what 
Steph Curry and Draymond were doing. And I mean, LaMarcus Aldridge just wanted no part of him uh, at all. So it was a little bit of a, it was a difficult game to get a much of a read on Wiseman because it was such an easy matchup in the end for him. But the other games that I've seen of him, he he looks a little bit DeAndre Jordanish to me, like in terms of his really good, strong around the rim finishing and things like that. Um, he, he shot a few sort of outside shots, say some range early in the season, but he hasn't sort of done that much of that since. Uh, I get the sense that maybe that the Warriors have just said, look, let's just do the simple things right. And I think they're just trying to, this is the way they're going to try and develop him. Just do the simple things. Don't try and do anything too fancy at the moment, and then we'll bring you along. Uh, and he and he certainly got good guys to learn off with, uh, you know, Draymond Green and Steve Kerr, etc. At the ball club. So again, I can see why Warriors fans are excited about him, uh, but I'm I'm not completely sold either that he's going to be as good as what they're maybe projecting in their own minds he's going to be. Well, that's exactly the quandary. So what I've seen. And I, I follow a guy called Dieter Kurtenbach, who used to be kind of a co-host with Sam Vecini on the um, Game Theory podcast. So Dieter is a Bay Area uh, basketball junkie, very analytic, kind of driven kind of guy. And he, he's he's got some conversations going on Twitter, which is the as Draymond has gotten back and then therefore as the team performance has obviously elevated around him and, and Steph kind of had his explosion here recently. And therefore, then with the, a team with the payroll like them and the ownership like um, like the Lacobes and, you know, the assets they paid to get Wiggins and the assets they paid to get Kelly Oubre, it's a team trying to win, right? Absolutely trying yeah. to win. How do they balance it, right? So Steve Kerr is going to have to do some, some serious coaching. How do you balance the fact that they don't really have another big, so you kind of need Wiseman to at least do some innings eating in terms of a big body? But clearly, right, the, the amount of on-court coaching, just imagine the delta between the basketball intelligence between Draymond Green and poor James Wiseman, who played three college games, right? Just the, the delta between the knowledge of what he needs to do, how he needs to play, how he needs to communicate, everything. The poor kid is lost. So that's going to be a very interesting thing, which is to see how do they balance. Like, what do you do with him now? Do you put him to the pine and try to win basketball games? Do you keep him in the starting role? You didn't. You probably don't dare put a you know the number two pick into the G League, and you probably wouldn't prove anything there. But you probably have to think about all the options at the moment as they balance this. You know, develop the kid, show some patience. But man, that's not a team built. They're not built for patience. And their expectations are well, quite high. So it's funny you say that because Steve Kerr said this week. He said if we were. At the pointy end of the season, he said, there's no way I'll be running out this five as our starting lineup. Did he actually say that? He actually said that. So I think there's going to be a clock. Because I'll tell you what, the Warriors are pretty good. They beat the Lakers in one of the better games of the season this week. As I did say, they destroyed the Spurs. They then backed that up with a strange game against New York when New York blew them off. So that's blew them away. But that's sort of the, the summary of the season, isn't it, so far, where we're getting some yeah. uneven performances from a lot of teams. Yeah. Probably bar yeah. the Lakers are probably the only ones that we haven't seen that from uh, to this point. Yeah. So And so I think it's like with any 19-year-old, just to finish the thought on, on the rookies then, is that I heard a bit of Mo Dekel, who's uh, another analyst. He was on, again, Sam Vecini's pod going through some of the rookies this year. And kind of contrary to what a lot of people have been saying about the obvious things about Wiseman, which is Again, poor awareness, really poor hands. Daz, his handle and his hands are pretty almost Thon Maker-like. He's not that strong 
and that kind of aggressive, there was various obvious, you know, kind of childish type of flaws in his game. But Mo was like, he said, I'm seeing way more positive and way more flashes and reminding himself the skill sets that he's seeing is he's kind of already saying, you've got to be really patient and project him two or three years from now when he learns this game and, and he turns 21 mm-hmm. and 22. There's, there's a lot there. So Mo is all really high on what he's seen so far, perhaps taking a bit of a, a longer view. And my final thought, and then you can, you can move us to a different direction is I've just flashed up the box score from Knicks Kings today and Kings close that one out and beat the Knicks and, and your boy Halliburton, I haven't seen the highlights yet or any of the game. Halliburton with a casual 31 minutes, 16 points, five rebounds, two assists on seven of 13 from the floor, four blocks, two steals, <laughs> right? And it's just as a rookie, yeah. And I know the Knicks are the Knicks, you know, but still, that's an NBA game, and he's performing like, uh, you know, I don't know, Andre Miller, you know, a love child between Andre Miller and Manu Ginobili, right? It's just kind of smart, heady, wiry, patient, under control. So I, I look forward to some um, highlights to see how he kind of owned R.J. Barrett and Alfred Payton. Well, he's like he's like Draymond on the defensive end, as in, in oh, the way right. he reads the game. And he's getting yeah. these blocks, and they're almost more like steals than blocks because he's anticipating the guy going up for the shots. And, and he's like he, he just mirror guys what they're going to do on that on that defensive end. And he's just and I said this for the first time I watched him, he's one of those players, and Draymond's like this as well, they're never out of the game. Like, it doesn't matter, offense or defense, they're moving, they're putting themselves in the right positions, and you've always got to be worried about them. He's like, he really is like small Draymond, what I've seen of him so far. Um, do the Kings, that, that's an absolute steal to pick him up. Uh, at the at the twelve spot, um, I mean, I know the Spurs. I'm not I'm not completely unhappy with what Devin Vassell's doing at the moment, but I think Halliburton would have been the better pick there. And but there's a number of teams that have missed on him. Uh, if you're looking at the draft board now, um, so well, he's been yeah, unbelievable. Sorry to, sorry to interrupt you because I, I was just looking at the same thing. Like, who's missed the most? Right, I think the top three teams are what we were. Patrick Williams has a he's got a lot of upside. I think the Bulls would be happy with what they've got. In Williams, we already talked about Okoro. Um, Okongwu has only just come back, I think, in Atlanta. They love his physicality, so we'll, we'll see. But that's where I just sort of paused and said, imagine imagine a long-term pairing of Trey and Halliburton. Wouldn't he be the ultimate guy to complement right, the defenseless, um, defenseless Trey mm. to be that calming effect, to be the guy who... Well, Draymond's done it for Steph. Again, you got the Draymond... Um, that's a great green comparison yeah so you wonder if the pressure to again that this is again we're laddering way back up here daz and maybe a i'm drawing a um you know a, a thread too too thinly between these two points but when you get meddling meddling ownership and, and pressure from ownership like in atlanta going after the big buck signing of a bogdan bogdanovich question did that affect did that thinking affect the way they drafted right did that sort of sensation effect and the pressure to you know to get this big body in a Kongu who they could plug and play you know and it kind of be a different style of player to Clint Capella did question did they draft for need rather than you know what you know could have been perhaps a quote-unquote developmental type of player um similarly with Detroit Detroit's probably more of a just a pure evaluation perspective to go with Killian Hayes who obviously plays basically the same position kind of a bigger guard 
And, um, you know, he obviously didn't do much before he got hurt. Um, I think the Knicks probably still kind of hoping Obi Toppin turns into something. But I think you, I think the big two then you've already called it as well as Jalen Smith on Phoenix. Man, what a fit um, Halliburton would have been next to, to Booker and Chris Paul. And perhaps Atlanta might be the two teams who can might do some hand-wringing here the next little while. But um, anyway, that's a long way of saying love Halliburton. Impossible not to love him. Probably even, does he have a nose ahead of LaMelo in terms of performance for Rookie of the Year? Probably, but LaMelo, obviously, with the well, just the spectacular the highlights, is, he's probably got all the hype behind him at the moment. So, But they're probably the one-two, aren't they, at the moment? Well, I cashed out done. my Rookie of the Year bet for Halliburton, but at least I made some money on it. And yeah. cashed it. Yeah. I did put some of those winnings, Daz, on LeBron to win MVP today at $8.50. So, hey, good. That's uh, probably a good bet. I think it's going to be a nice bet. Look, a couple of last points. I think when a guy goes 12 like Halliburton did, I think it's safe to say everyone in the NBA missed on him pretty much because how easy would it have been? I mean, I'm looking down like New Orleans were 13. How easy would it have been for them to trade up a spot? Boston were 14. They could have traded up a couple spots and got him. Like, I think there's a number of teams that could have certainly walked away of Halliburton if they'd, been, if they'd seen this sort of level of performance coming out right out of the gate. And I did see Patrick Williams today for the Bulls, and I actually I like what I saw. I thought he... I thought he looked, uh, again, you could see the potential. You know, really strong guy. uh, And, you know, for his age, I think he's going to, when he develops into that body, he's going to be a real handful for teams to to take, uh, to try and and control. And and again, I think think that would be a a combination of the drafting for need and drafting for fit. Because you can, if you believe in marketing, and that's a very big if at the moment, that's a really logical pairing, isn't it? The more rugged, wing like Williams who does have scoring ability paired with this very stretchy four five like Lowry and the kind of the stretchy Wendell Carter. So in theory, that's a pretty good, you know, pretty good front court. You know, there's, there's some, there's something to build from there. But um, the last point I'll make then on, on the rookies is as I glance through it and the reminder of another Levingson moment this week. And it came at the expense of a chugga chugga <laughs> moment. I knew, I know Was where you're going already. The Wolves blew a 10 point lead in the last, yeah, I'm going to get to the Levingston moment, right? And it was the the, the, the Wolves blew a 10-point lead with about two and a half minutes to go and lost to Orlando. Um, some kid, I forget, on Minnesota missed two free throws with like three seconds left. And then Orlando races down the court and Cole Anthony drills a pull-up three-pointer at the buzzer to win the game. A, a highlight that literally nobody saw because it's Timberwolves versus um, Orlando. But uh, needless to say, Cole Anthony is getting his place and getting his opportunities perhaps sooner than they would have wished, obviously with poor Markel going down with his ACL injury and, and losing the indefatigable, you know, DJ Augustine. I'm sorry, highly defatigable and perhaps <laughs> done DJ Augustine in the offseason. So good on Cole Anthony, which was, uh, again, kind of a big school name, big kind of uh, with UNC background, getting an opportunity in a, a desperately needed backcourt situation in Orlando. Nice game-winning buzzer beater, lots of hugs and high fives. Uh, Yes, it was a 97-96 win against Minnesota, but it's the NBA, and they were they were happy as uh, as as Larry, you know, for that kid to win a win a game like that. So well, good moment for Cole. My final point on the uh, on the draft: a couple of guys late in the draft, the last pick in the first round, and one of the early second round picks, really playing well in Memphis at the moment, does, and that's uh, Desmond Bain and Xavier Fucking Tillman. Bain. Oh my God, I forgot. If you yes. get a chance to watch the Memphis Grizzlies. 
watch the well, watch all their kids, but these two kids look like NBA players to me. And I think Bain, I've said this to you offline, I think he has the potential to be the greatest uh, in-game entertainment. Every time that they hit a shot, they should play a quote from Bain out of The Dark Knight Rises, particularly if he hits a game winner. <laughs> it's just... It's such a great name, right? He can just be, he's got the brand right there for him, doesn't he? He's just all branded. That's right. It was very early in the week, so I missed it. But Xavier Tillman, it's just talk about some serious coaching going on there. I forgot, maybe it was a Philadelphia game. But anyway, there was a game where they just used Tillman in just such really smart ways. You could just see how the ball movement around the perimeter is getting him in in like this really great mid-range space, obviously where he, he thrives. He's got that weird length. He's kind of got the... Oh, what kind of game does? How would you describe Xavier Tillman? He's like, uh, oh, yeah, um, Jason Caffey. Like I don't know. <laughs> there's that. There's a skill about him. But what I was getting at is a really nice touch for a big guy with long arms. And yet, yeah, here it is. 15 points. You know, four steals, two assists. You know, four rebounds and a win against Philadelphia in 27 minutes. And that was the game where he's just kind of catching and really quick decision making. Daz, he'd catch and shoot. He'd make a quick post move and go up with it, or he'd kick it back out, and that's what I actually saw. Well, more. there was a little bit of Amare about how good he was in that game, and I don't think he's going to reach that level. But, I mean, in terms of what how he looked when they are getting him the ball in the post and things like that, I thought, geez, it yeah. just jumped off the screen. Decisive, yeah. I'm trying to think of a long-armed, you know, very kind of, no, it's not LMA because he doesn't have that shooting touch. But, anyway, there was a competence there, wasn't there? There was a, a foundation of... Right, classic Michigan State, like you're going to get all the fundamentals. You're going to get a guy who knows how to play basketball. That is vintage Tom Izzo, Michigan State pedigree, was very high sort of intelligence. So, God, you imagine Memphis Daz, if they they haven't even barely had jaw for not even half the season. Jaron hasn't played, and they haven't had the toughest schedule. But, that, again, some serious coaching going on by Taylor Jenkins and, and some personnel you know, development scouting going on down there. So, yeah, good call out. Good call out. Like some moment this week. Yeah, so well, well let's move on there, Des, to our market. Well, a little bit of news first, actually. So some bad news on uh, Karis Levert. Hopefully it's going to end up okay. But uh, his, his physical, when he was moving over to Indiana, showed up <clears throat> a mess on uh, his liver. So he's been sent for further tests. And fingers crossed that uh, it's nothing cancerous there, but he's out indefinitely. So that's a bit of a setback uh, to the Pacers, who got away with a, a close win today against the Magic, but didn't look that great. And obviously they really need to to make sure that he's back uh, and playing at his absolute best. Did, did they... I hadn't read that news, Daz. Did, did they... It is now known to not be cancerous? Is that what we've... Or is it still oh, I haven't seen that. It was undetermined last time I checked, so it's yeah, just okay. something we need yeah. to need yeah. to keep um, keep an yeah. eye on. And I'm sorry, if, did we talk about it in the last pod? But I can just like, the human moment on that, which is the, you know, Karis, really great kid, and you know, quite a heady kid, always has been. But he, um, in his tweets or kind of his communication out to the world after the diagnosis, interestingly, right, even though. To close that, right, Indiana was um, given some assets, cash, and I think a second round pick because it wasn't something that the uh, the Nets had known about. And so they kind of you know, put the leverage because they would have the right to cancel to avoid the deal, not pass the physical. But they didn't. They went through with the deal anyway. Yeah. And uh, for probably a whole bunch of human reasons and basketball reasons, yeah. 
And this is kind of how Indiana, even going back to the Brogdon Bucks situation, where it was known he was going to go sign this offer, and the the owner reached out again, just sort of saying, "Hey, we're, we're going to go hard after this guy. Can we make a trade for him? We don't want to kind of screw you, Milwaukee." Just kind of this really kind of old world gentlemanly approach. Harris comes out and says, "Massive thank you, kudos. Oh my God, thank you, Indiana, for being so unbelievably thorough with your physical and help in discovering something which." probably quite terrifying for the guys. So again, human moment. These are very, very, it goes way beyond right asset value and, you know, fit on the court and when stuff like this happens. And so nice to see uh, hopefully an organization. I have no question. will look after Karis with whatever happens with the kid. So fingers crossed on that diagnosis, I guess. Yes, definitely. So let's move on Daz to our marquee matchups from the week. Now we want to, uh, it's going to be a little bit buck centric this week. Mainly because... Oh, goody. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. Well, the Bucks have lost twice this week, so you might not want to be quite as uh, as happy talking about it. But Bucks lakers and Bucks nets uh, the Bucks have lost both games. Um, if you want to talk about, I guess, what you saw from the Bucks, and I'll cover off a little bit what I saw from, from the other teams as well, and maybe piggyback a little bit off what you saw. I don't know what game you want to tackle first, whether you want to tackle the Nets and uh, their debut first yeah. or, or the Lakers. I think that, that chronologically is probably easier to go with the Nets game. We'll go chronologically. And look, I, it was most of the same from Milwaukee's perspective, and I, I'll keep this suitably high level. But what you certainly see with the Bucks is lots of tinkering, right? And so it's, and it's not just driven by the fact they've had so much personnel turnover, but they have lots of tinkering going on as largely on, on the offensive end. And so what you're seeing is, I think that was the game where Giannis set a, for the last three years, a high in terms of number of on ball screens that he set his previous high was 21 on ball screens in a single game. He did 36 this game. So didn't just, just, creep over the 21 36 on ball screens. And that's emblematic of them absolutely recognizing that perhaps right now, again, thinking, thinking future playoffs for the next three, four, five years is that is the next development for Giannis actually to more like Shaq or another or Embiid or AD, I guess, as it were, and take the ball out of his hands in late game situations and have him sing screen having all that gravity being a runner and having him attack the offensive glass late in games to do those things, which he's obviously phenomenal at or could be, but also to help them mitigate the risk of him getting hack a shacked as his free throw rate and percentage as his rate rate stayed the same, but his percentages have limited to 58%. So that was very stark as is the fact you had lots of drew and lots of Middleton in particular initiating offense and Giannis not touching the ball in crunch time. And the Bucks had every chance. That was a basically a game of back and forth. It was very close. And the Bucks had two shots to win it. It just didn't go in. So pretty well played game that went down to the last shot. And it's kind of a kind of like that Boston game. That it could have gone to either team and it just didn't go their way. It didn't ball, ball didn't bounce their way that night. Um, some of the things on on the defensive end, again, more Bucks tinkering is doing more switching and going under, which does not serve you well against Kyrie. Sorry. It was against Harden and Harris. There was no Kyrie for that that Nets game, um, but that's again that's that's Bud tinkering, and we're seeing that tinkering largely again. I think the personnel changes, and the fact they're just trying to add to their to their versatility for playoffs. Um, but it's clear that the Bucks' number thirteenth or fourteenth ranking in defense, obviously down from number one last year, is a significant part why they're not winning these games. 
and much the same Daz in in the LA game. Very very similar game. Very close the whole time. Very competitive. So the Bucks clearly have enough of that. They're starting five talent, but their bench really lets them down, to say the least. And again, we saw Giannis very very aggressive in the post and very aggressive in the paint, but Giannis just got in his head. He like he does again. He just needs to work through this. Or there's some of this remarkable for an MVP, right? A two-time MVP where he just gets he gets really single-minded and just can't he's like a dog with a bone like he catches the ball and you can just feel like the ball's not coming out he's going to attack he's going to throw a shoulder in and the the bleeping lakers much like the bleeping you know um marcus smarts at just throwing their body underneath him constantly and as long as the nba allows this to happen where there these dangerous plays of people undercutting him and throwing into him and enough of these are called charges that's what's happening so two sides of that coin Giannis getting too, just too narrow focused in his playmaking, nine bleeping turnovers, which were unbelievably costly in a game against L.A. Um, in a game where, again, the Bucks were so strong and they shot something like, I think they made 11 threes and the Lakers made 19. The Lakers shot about 50%. When it's that massive a delta and the game is still so close, the Bucks are really, really good in the paint and tacking. But Giannis is just damn, he's sloppy and he's thinking a lot, so... The zoom out is I hope that's him working through things. The zoom out is, is this the MVP having to break some stuff and challenge his own habits to try and perhaps at age 27, 28, be a better version of himself, perhaps. But it's clear at the moment at the end of the day, there's an absolute gap between the Lakers and the Bucks. There's no question. I don't even know if the Lakers were playing. They had full complement, but they weren't exactly like, you know, it wasn't Lakers 100% in LeBron and AD playing 40 minutes by any stretch. There's a clear gap you know, between those two teams. And I think because the Nets defense is so porous, I think it's still too early to tell about who's maybe the, the boss of the East, but there's no question, right, that the upside of, of Brooklyn is far higher than the Bucks. So um, kind of a – so to answer your question, did we learn a lot about these marquee matchups? We certainly didn't learn much about L.A. They look complete, and we learned that the Bucks are tinkering, and so I think the noise around Bud will be uh, appreciative that he's adapting. But now instantly on the other side of our mouths, people are going to be challenging. Oh, they're losing games and they're 14th in defense. So what the hell, bud? Mm. So that's the best noise starting. I think the interesting thing for me to come out of it was looking at the minutes that Giannis played and the fact that when during the third quarter, when it was the best five on the court, Giannis, that's when he was setting all those off-ball screens and you sort of you almost forgot he was out there unless you're paying attention to that sort of side of the ball. Um, and I think part of that is, and I, and I wonder how much of, how much this will actually affect his fatigue as it goes on, but is that a, a way of sort of not putting as much pressure on him uh, as the game goes on, as his minutes tick up? Because I think it's unavoidable now. We're not going to see Giannis playing 35 minutes at the max in the playoffs anymore. I think he's going to be 40 minutes and maybe even above that when they get into the mood of the playoffs. And I think the other thing is the degree of difficulty is going up now for Giannis as well because even though the bench is so poor, in these two games we're looking at, Daz, the plus-minus of the bench guys, even though they put up no numbers, was not that bad because they were playing a lot of the time with Giannis on the court. And Giannis is just putting everything or on Middleton, his... Middleton, yeah. Yeah, Giannis or Middleton, they're just putting everything on their back at that point. Because I just think... And I think with those bench guys, I just... I'm watching what they're doing and I'm like, what? what is your role? I don't really understand whether they're not 
playing what their role is or they don't the role hasn't been properly defined for them i mean bobby portis just sort of runs around and as i said to you today he looks like short dwight howard at the moment what he i'm not quite sure what he's trying to do other than just sort of throw himself around a little bit here and there Bryn forbes is totally in his own head he just refuses to shoot when he's open for three and either hop the that or goes into a long two augustine looks completely washed up um, although I'm, and I'm still a Pat Connaughton fan. I think I love the random Pat Connaughton offensive rebounds that you get every two or three times every game where he sort of rises up out of nowhere and taps the ball back into play. So I'm, I'm still a believer there, but I think the problem for the Bucks is they've got six NBA-level players. I don't know where they find players seven, eight, and then maybe even nine that you might need for a playoff run. Fair question. And look, to be fair, Bobby Portis is exactly who Bobby Portis we thought he was, which is a one of the things the Bucks desperately needed was some just volume scoring, someone who can create a shot on on the offensive end. So he actually has been he has been what we expect of Bobby Portis, and he will feast on some nights. He'll be feeling it, and he'll feast against the Chicago's or the Detroit's or the Orlando's, and you know um, those sorts of things. And he'll be a real relief. Right. But then there's games right where you're where his defensive liabilities are so severe where he'll just kind of get played off the floor. So I think Portis has been exactly what we thought. he. Um, but I think the bigger question, and this is the fair question, is the fair question. But the patience that has to be shown, which by an increasing a world increasingly impatient and wanting to overact every single game is Bud is absolutely dealing with the comp- He's got an enormous amount of tinkering to do. He's working about stagger, working through staggering with the second unit. So the second unit's just anchored by Middleton and four bench guys. As you rightly pointed out, there's then been um, bench units anchored with Giannis and four bench guys. And sometimes they'll have a Drew, a Drew and Middleton, um, kind of a smaller lineup with Portis at the five, kind of the speedy, fast bench lineup with Forbes and fucking Thanasis dad. Dad's Thanasis and Antetokounmpo is getting, getting run. And so Bud is clearly, clearly tinkering and looking for things and experimenting. And I think he's earned enough leash to do that. And so I'm, again, my appeal to the Bucks fans is chill. Um, it doesn't look good some nights at all. Um, Jonathan Charks rightly pointed out at the end of the games or in the fourth quarter why Pat Connaughton is defending LeBron James whilst Giannis is over in the corner, um, you know, uh, you know, kind of shielding Alex Caruso. Like Giannis is completely out of the play defensively. And I don't know, is that by accident? Probably doubtful, but it looks like it is by design. And so to your point, the, the guess would be, he's just working through what can we do? How, what's it like to let Giannis kind of rest off ball mm. for moments? Does I it think actually that's, help I think that is a factor of the minutes increase. Without I reckon, doubt. yeah, I reckon. And it's a challenge to the bench guys who also get paid millions of dollars to play NBA basketball, right? It's a challenge to say, can you step up? Can you do something? We can, if we can't test you now in January, how can we possibly test you in May and June? So not that we know, not that we all know kind of who Pat Connaughton is, for example, you know, we know exactly what kind of pro he is, but that's what Bud's doing. And that's, a, that's kind of the main takeaway from, I guess, from my marquee this week is a couple of losses, but, a lot of things to take away if you're if you're into looking at how the Bucks are preparing to try to be you know to get to the finals. Well, I think and, and quickly on the other two, too, so the Nets. I mean, I know everyone says don't care about the regular season. Who cares? Blah blah blah. At some point, you got to try and play some defense. 
and they they just have no scheme at that end it seems anyway i'm sure there's there's some things they may be trying to do but they're certainly not doing there's no attention to detail that end they remind me at the moment of the of the late lebron era Cavs, where there was just we don't care about defense we're not going to play it during the regular season and then when the playoffs start that's when we'll actually look at um, playing some defense. And, you know, I guess for that team at work, getting through that decrepit Eastern Conference, I'm not convinced it's going to be going to be able to work for this um, uh, for, the, for this iteration of the Brooklyn Nets. And I mean, they were so bad today, Daz. I mean, as soon as Cleveland passed the ball more than twice, as I said earlier, it was a dunk layup. It was just so easy for the Cavs to score whenever they needed to. Um, it was an absolute embarrassment. So I understand Harden's only just there. He's probably still getting himself into shape. We know what was happening with him at Houston. Uh, but, you know, at some point they're going to have to start playing some defense. Or I don't care how good an offensive team you're going to be putting out in the court, um, it's going to catch up with you. And I'll particularly, I think, catch up with them in the playoffs because the East is a lot stronger this year um, than what it has been in years past. We'll see. You know, this is, you know, Kyrie and Kevin Durant came out and said, we don't need coaching. We don't want coaching. Let us play. And so they handpicked their baby coach, right, who's more of a, a culture guy and a relationship guy, obviously, and Steve Nash and Dan Tony, not exactly known for his defensive prowess. So we will see what happens when the players become the coach. Players pick the coach. Players pick the style of play. We've seen Kyrie, um, you know, wilt in the playoffs, certainly famously a couple of years ago against in his last season in Boston against the Bucks, where he was nowhere near the best player on the floor, maybe even the third best player behind Giannis and, and Middleton in that series. And obviously he's had some injuries to deal with and now the off-court stuff. So I think there, I think it's fair to ask, you know, um, there's, there's some real basketball things there. And will, will that team turn it on? Will you get, you know, suddenly amazing defensive effort and scheme out of them in April and May? The talent just isn't there. Mm. Like what? We keep hearing about, oh, James Harden, he's a great post defender. Yeah, post defender. He wasn't today. I can tell you that. Go stand and defend Ben Simmons in the post. Good luck, right? Go defend Giannis in the post. Good luck. Go go, go Drew Holiday. Like, yeah, post, great, but you're going to have to hide somewhere. And uh, you you can't have, when again, your backcourt mates are, or Kyrie, who Kyrie, to his credit, is a, you know he's a pretty rangy, aggressive kind of jump the passing lane, but he's not an on-ball defender. They got no on-ball defenders, and so that's a very real question. And so again, I think there's a lot of people smarter than me going, hmm. You wonder what if <coughs> Kyrie just <coughs> stayed away and let you just let KD and Harden go to work, right? You'll score enough points with the two, what two of the top twenty offensive players in the history of the league. And, you know, would there be better off, you know, with aggressive kind of, I don't know, I'd have to look up and down that roster to see if they had anyone who can play defense, Daz, but they've got some real questions. They're not going to be, I don't think there's, this is not a cakewalk by any reason, by any means. Like, the, they got so many variables on offense. I think the, all the defensive deficiencies are very, very fair to ask. It's just it's just kind of lazy narrative to say, oh, they score 135 every night. Well, Cleveland just outscored them twice in a row. And you see Kyrie kind of smirking on the floor, just trying to, oh, you're kind of dismissive of kind of this back and forth with Colin Sexton. Kyrie's bricking Sexton's, you know, hitting. And Kyrie almost, you know, I'm too good for this. Like, you know, just that sort of level of this is still all about me and it's about rep and it's about respect and it's about, you know, um, 
legacy. Like every game is fucking legacy leaving with these guys, right? It's just, yeah, anyway. So you're actually talking me into the dark side of, of Brooklyn. So pull me back up, Daz. They're, they're legit, but you're right. There's some major questions. Well, I'm not going to overreact after three games, but the yeah. early returns are not great. They're one and two. Two losses in a row to Cleveland. I think Harden's looked okay. Uh, Kyrie's actually looked well in terms of the box score he's put up. But again, they, they just have not looked like getting a stop uh, in either of those two games. So it's just, it is just something to keep your eye on. Yeah, Quickly, definitely. we talked a lot about the Lakers last week. Not much more to talk about there. LeBron's putting together a uh, an MVP season. Anthony Davis actually not playing all that well by his standards. He said that himself he's, he feels like he's in a bit of a funk. So heaven forbid the league when he comes out of that. A guy we didn't mention last week, Daz, that I love this guy's game, and that's Taylor Horton Tucker. Uh, he didn't play against the Bucks. But I'm telling you, when I've seen him in games earlier this year, he this guy is just in attack mode every time he gets the ball. And he just go, takes it to the rim. And I oh, know Caldwell Pope had a big game, so he's back now and sort of Horton Tucker's fallen down the rotation. But it's a nice when you look down the, down the bench and you've got a young guy like that uh, to come off. He's only 20. Uh, actually, not even 20. Oh, he's just gone 20 yet. So to come off the bench and be able to put in minutes and... Honestly, at, at times in that, those two little Spurs games, they were just giving him the ball and letting him go to work and, and taking it to the hole, and that was their offense. That's nah, just depressing. I don't need to hear that, Daz. <laughs> okay, I mean, Levingston, good on Taylor Horton Tucker, the deep second-round pick who's, you know, outperforming DJ Wilson and Bryn Forbes. And, you know, good for you, Lakers, boy. You do one – you got to do one thing right in your scouting department, and now it's, you know, basically – you know, um, sprinkles on top of the cherry, on top of the frosting, on top of the cake that they have. But, yeah, I've noticed he's kind of a rugged player. He's just a strong, kind of KCP-like, isn't he? He's kind of built that way, just big and strong, 6'4", 6'5", kind of kid. I remember he's from Chicago. I know he's a Simeon. I remember he's a Chicago kid, just, just, which is a just, just to say tough. This dude comes from a tough part of the city. And so you're not going to get a soft-minded character. Um you know, kind of against kind of the same type of environment that Kevin Garnett would have grown up in in, in Chicago. So, yeah, on the Lakers, Daz. Well, yeah, some guys too. Picture. Some guys you can tell straight away they love playing with LeBron, and he's just one of those guys that I think oh, he, him point. and LeBron have clicked straight away. You know, and he's just he fits into what they're doing, whereas other rookies would have just maybe shrunk back a little bit and they're not, not going to get into the game as much. He's just straight in there and he just loves it. I think LeBron loves his game as well. Um, and look, I, I, as much as I've hated the Lakers over the years, this is my favourite iteration of, of the Los Angeles Lakers uh, since you sort of go back to the, the Magic Showtime era. Um, yeah. That they, they're good to watch, Daz. Like, you've got to appreciate I know. the basketball they're playing. I know. LeBron does things you're just like, all right, I'll never. I just wish he'd stop bitching. He just doesn't stop. As soon as the ball's tipped and someone blocks his shot because he doesn't have any ups anymore, bitching at the ref. It's constantly AD. You're bitching. Mm. I just. So I guess I, there's still that thing where it's it's not quite um, Harden level or you know Boston Marcus Smart level or Kyle Lowry level, but it's damn close. It's just non-stop bitching, and so it's just hard to stomach. I guess to kind of. Uh, square the circle or circle the square, whatever the phrase is, when you've got that there's a good complete team basketball going on. It's just this fucking bitching. Like, just, 
I don't know if it's cultural stuff as well. That's bigger than just the LA Lakers, but just no one ever makes a mistake. It's always someone else's fault. No one's accountability. I've never traveled. I've always been fouled. I couldn't possibly miss a shot. <laughs> it's just, just fucking exhausting. I'll be honest. He yeah, got so. called for two travels in a game uh, on back to back possessions. I'm trying to think against Golden State. That's right. And, yeah, uh, and his head nearly that. exploded. Yeah, but it, <laughs> his bald spot blew open, and, <laughs> and the, the highlight of that Bucks game was Drew Holiday putting his ass into Kuzma and just taking him into the post. And Kuzma flops in the lane, and you know Drew just lays it over the top of him. Kuzma like throws his hands at the referee, and the referee just looks over at him, just stare. Kuzma's laying on the ground with his hands up, like what the, what the fuck? And the referee just shakes her head, and just that was like, oh, at least there's not the full LeBron effect, you know, 48 minutes a game. So um, the the flopping was acknowledged. I, I think you actually get fined for that one. It was so. It was pretty outrageous. Well, but, I do yeah. love what I, the best thing about watching the NBL does is they don't call that sort of shit, right? But the yeah. players who obviously been watching the NBA, they're playing for those calls, and the refs just look at them and the looks that the ref gives them like you just embarrassed yourself, son. And then they just yeah. sort of walk down the other end of the court like this. I'm going to go around the screen. I'm going to stop. I'm going to jump the opposite way and hit you as you're coming under the screen and I'm going to get a foul call. No, that's not a foul. Like, I just think yeah. they need to have a rule where you say, if you as an offensive player initiate the contact, it's it's either an offensive foul or probably better off, it's a no call. And you just say, you're going to have to live with whatever shot, whatever junk you yeah. throw up at the rim. That's it. So, yeah. so we, we might leave it there for today. Um, but what I want to do is give you a little bit of homework because I think there's a couple of teams we haven't probably watched enough of. I really want to dig into what's what's happening in Philadelphia because their record, even though they're at the moment, that, that uh, I think it's 10 and 5 now after winning today, I think four of those losses came when they had COVID and had guys out injured. So they're obviously something's working there with Doc Rivers. Um, and, and they're actually still doing some of the things that they were doing in Brett Brown. Like Brett Brown era, they were notoriously the, the team that threw the most passes in the league. And it was always sort of felt that, oh, they're overusing the basketball. Well, that's still the case. They're still throwing a number one number of passes in the league. I think Charlotte's number two in that stat. But I haven't really seen a lot of uh, the Sixers at the moment. So I want to I try and make sure we, we catch a game of the Sixers, unless you have seen something of them, uh, and see, are they doing anything different this year? What has Doc Rivers done um, that maybe has sort of tweaked this team a bit? And also a team, I think the Clippers and the Jazz over in the West are sort of pushing up there in, in that sort of top top part of the West. And the Jazz in particular are going on a bit of a run at the moment after being 4-4. Four and four. Then they're one, I think, seven straight. So they're, they're really playing some good basketball. The Clippers, I think we can sort of almost say, as much as we, we say we don't want to disregard the regular season, it's not until the playoffs start really going to get a good read on this team. But the, the Jazz and the Sixers, I think, are the two teams that maybe we want to try and spend some time watching in the next week or so. Yeah, I've caught some Jazz this last week. Hard to avoid them because they're on the streak. But yeah, if, if there's a the Sixers, I just had a quick peek at the schedule. That's a great idea. They got three ridiculous cupcake games, back-to-back Detroit and Minnesota, then squeezed around them as a game against the Lakers and a game against the Pacers mm. next week. So we got a couple of tests with three cupcakes. But yeah, we should. Um, I'll definitely take a look and see. But a lot of conversation around obviously Ben Simmons. So I think that's worth a look. And Tobias Harris 
is that being used in a different way? And um, yeah, absolutely worth a look. Good call. Mm. Okay, mate. Well, look, enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thanks for taking the time. We'll catch up today. And um, yeah, we'll, I might go out and jump in the pool. It's still about, it's still pushing th- mid 30 degrees here. Always a pleasure, Daz. Have a good swim, pal. Happy right. Australia Day. Thanks, Take care, mate. buddy. Bye. Bye. Cliff Levingston took the charge, and there was no foul call.